Well, good morning. It's fantastic to be here again today and to just be worshiping together. And uh, I was talking with uh, Don and Judy even before the service was getting started, and uh, we're, I, uh, they were talking about their time in Jamaica. And many years ago, I had spent just uh, a week to 10 days in Jamaica working at uh, the Jamaica Deaf Village. And I just remember uh, that time and all the things that's happened with the country of Jamaica since then. And we were just talking about what a hard country that is in many different ways. It's hard geographically. It's hard spiritually. Uh, it's hard socially. There's just so much hardship in Jamaica. And so just encourage them, uh, pray for them, and, uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, pour your heart into their ministry because what they're going to do is very, very difficult. Uh, just in Jamaica alone, let alone to think to go to prisons in Jamaica. Uh, if I had to go to prison, uh, you know, top of the list of places not be in prison, Turkey, you know, and then Jamaica's up there fairly high. <laughs> uh, tough place, tough place to minister. This uh, series that we're doing, we're doing on uh, God's desire for the church, and we're looking into an area each week where God has a heart for what he wants of his church. And um, last week we looked at uh, the purpose that God has placed in the church, the mystery that God has this cosmic church purpose, that he has held it secret for eons and eons and eons, and everybody was waiting to see what this mystery was, and he revealed the mystery as the church, which was that we... Uh, sort of misfits and underdogs, broken and wounded people uh, would be the ones to display his wisdom. And we sort of look around at each other and wonder, why would God choose to work through us? But that's his desire, that he would work through the church using us. And then today, what we're looking at is that God has not left us helpless in that purpose, that imperfect and clumsy as we are, he's poured out his Holy Spirit on the church and that he has given to us spiritual gifts. And we were looking at Ephesians chapter 3 last week, and if you just keep reading in Ephesians and get to 4, you would read that um, in Ephesians chapter 4, that grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And it says that when he ascended on high, he led hosts of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so when Christ ascended, he gave gifts to men, and that we bring these gifts. And there's typically six New Testament areas where these gifts are talked about. And uh, there's a chart where uh, I go through them. We're not going to go through the chart, but uh, three of them are in 1 Corinthians, and then in Romans 12, and then in Ephesians 4.11, and then in 1 Peter 10. There's these different sections in the New Testament where the gifts are described, and they're not described all the same way every time. And uh, there's a whole thing I could go into on that. I'm not going to, but some of them are uh, a sort of a manifestation gift. Some of them are uh, they're just different kinds of gifts that are mentioned. But today we're going to look at... Uh, Romans 12, the gifts that are in Romans chapter 12. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to have a gifts description, we're going to have a gifts application, we're going to have a warning about gift projection, and then we're going to re result in gift illumination. And so we're going to try and go through those four things today uh, in terms of the spiritual gifts and the way that God has equipped the church in our purpose, this mysterious purpose that he's reserved for us 
to put on display his wisdom and specifically put on display his wisdom as it's bound up in the reality of Christ Jesus. In the, in the richness and the mystery that's hidden in Christ Jesus, that's what we put on display. But before we get into straight into that, um, I want to show you something I found uh, in the Old Testament that really just blew me away. And I'm going to come back to it again in a couple weeks. And so that's why I wanted to talk about it here today and then talk about it again in a few weeks. And it has to do with the value of the congregation. It has to do with the value of the people gathered together to worship God and the responsibility of the congregation. The everyday people that came to worship God. And it's how God sets the stage thousands of years before this mystery is revealed that he's preserving to reveal in the church. Thousands of years before that, he sets the stage and he paints a picture in his law of what is coming in the church. And so in Deuteronomy 16... 16, actually, and this is uh, the Deuteronomy is, is Moses explaining the law of God to the people. It's his heart for the people. It's his hope for his people. And it's, a, and it's God painting his pictures in the, in, the, in the law and in the nation of Israel, the relationship that's going to come in the, into the, in the church. And it says there, three times a year, your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the feast of unleavened bread the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And no man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way your Lord, your God, has blessed you. Now, isn't that funny? Doesn't that sound a little bit similar that, that God has poured out gifts on us in proportion to our faith? And here, thousands of years earlier in the law, God is saying, when you come to worship me, you don't come empty-handed. You're to bring a gift in proportion to what you've been given. And so what do we bring? Well, you've got to go to Leviticus 24, where Moses is now explaining in more detail the feast that he's talking about here. So if you roll forward to Leviticus 24, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Command the Israelites to bring you this, bring you clear oil of pressed olives for the light, so that the lamps may be kept burning continually. Outside, the curtain of the testimony in the tent of meeting. Aaron is to tend the lamps before the Lord from evening till morning continually. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. The lamps are on the pure gold lampstand before the Lord must be tended continually. So that's what the people bring. They bring the oil. They bring to the tabernacle in worship the oil and the priests tend the lamps. And so God says, Aaron, your part as a priest, as a leader in this congregation is to uh, make sure the lamp is lit, make sure the lamp is ignited, make sure that it's burning, make sure that there's illumination. The light of the congregation is to continually burn. But the illumination was dependent on the faithfulness of the congregation. It was dependent on the people bringing the oil to Aaron, the high priest. Priests didn't have jobs. The priests didn't bring anything except themselves in service to the temple. Okay, they didn't have fields, they didn't have crops, they didn't have property. They were dependent upon the congregation to bring the oil and so that they could manage the temple and manage the worship. And so it was dependent on the faithfulness of the congregation. And day after day and week after week, generation after generation, for literally thousands of years, this is how the temple operated. The people brought the oil and the priests tended to the lamps. And so as you may or you may not know, but if you were to go through Scripture, oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Oil is always used as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. 
Hebrews 9 touches on this. If you wanted to go and learn more about that, there's other places throughout Psalms and throughout uh, the Old Testament where oil is used as a picture of the Holy Spirit. And so here, the picture that I'm getting around to painting here and what God has painted for us in Scripture is that the congregation brings the Holy Spirit to the church. That the power here, the Holy Spirit here, the gifts that we bring, the prayer that we bring, the spirit that is in this place comes with you. So when you think that, you know, you're not doing anything important on a Sunday morning, oh, you're doing something important because you're bringing the oil. You know, the elders and, and I and the other leaders, we can only do ministry and keep that ministry light going as long as people bring the oil. And Spurgeon said, great congregations are not made by great preachers, but great preachers are made by great congregations. And so that's sort of the effective message of today, that what we do as a church is important, that our effectiveness is only as powerful as what the congregation brings to the tabernacle. That the power of church is in what you bring. If you're looking around this church and you're wondering what makes this church great, It's you, because you're bringing the oil. You're bringing the fuel that makes the light bright. And so we're looking at one of the ways in which you bring the oil today. That was just a little aside, that painting, that picture from the Old Testament, just to get us warmed up to what was going on in the New Testament now in the spiritual gifts. Because these gifts are poured out on God's people, not so that they can keep them to themselves and you know, sing songs in the shower and, you know, pray in a closet necessarily, but that they can bring these gifts into the tabernacle, that into, the, into the dwelling place, into the, into the area where they can serve and accomplish this mystery, this revelation of God's wisdom. So using your gifts in the church, and you, so you may be saying to yourself as a Christian for some time, I don't know what to do. You know, that's, I try everything and nothing seems to work or I'm, I, I, I'm doing this a whole lot but it's making me tired because I'm not really happy about doing it or, you know, so I try a little bit of everything but I don't know what I'm good at. You know, or you're sitting there and you're thinking, I'm kind of afraid to volunteer because I don't think I'm good at anything and so I just don't do anything at the church because I don't want to get involved because I'm not really all that important and I don't do anything very well, you know, and there's this sort of false humility about how I'm just poor and lowly and I, I'm no good so I'm not going to do anything. So whether you're doing everything or nothing, the point is is that we all have something to bring to the church. So Romans 12, that's our text for today. Romans 12, 4 to 8, is where Paul is speaking about a specific set of gifts that are brought together in one body in Christ. So Romans 12, 4 to 8 says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so we're going to go through these things um, and look at these gifts and how they apply to the church. And so the church is a body. Paul explains this two or three times in the New Testament. And that that body of believers, that congregation, it's the people that you're sitting with right now. That's who, people, that's who Paul is talking about. And God has dealt to each of us a gift. 
We all have all the gifts in some proportion. Jesus, of course, exhibited all the gifts in perfect proportion. Um, you know, Jesus didn't have to sit down and figure out what his spiritual gift was. Uh, didn't go through a chart or a checklist or anything like that. Jesus obviously has all the spiritual gifts, and he has them in abundance in every proportion. We have all the gifts as well as we become more and more Christ-like. But what Paul is teaching us here and what Scripture teaches us is that God deals, and according to our faith, he gives us a specific gift a gift that we can exercise uh, above and beyond maybe other, gi- other gifts, and not everybody has the gifts the same way we do. And so how do you answer that question of what I should do? What is the ministry? What part of the body am I? And we'll consider the gifts. And as I'm going through these gifts, you can be listening to them and, and listening for what resonates with you. And I'll try and give you a couple of different ways as I speak here about how you can determine your gift. So the first one, it says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Prophecy is the gift of declaring the truth. It's, it's foretelling or it's speaking forth the truth in addition to foretelling the consequences of, of, of not listening to the truth. Okay, The prophets in the Old Testament, they're always saying, here is the truth of God and here's what's going to happen if you don't follow it. So it's not prophecy as in I'm looking in a crystal ball and I'm going to determine what the future is necessarily. Prophecy is the foretelling of the truth and what its consequences are and for you know reproof and also for encouragement and jesus when he was exercising this gift he you remember he was talking to the woman at the well and uh, he was sitting there waiting for a drink the disciples were gone the woman comes and he says to the woman who is at the well Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither in the mountain nor in Jerusalem. Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. What's Jesus talking about right there? He's talking about us. He's forth telling the truth, the reality that we don't worship God anymore at some sort of mountain, sacred place, and we don't even worship God in the temple anymore. We worship the God in spirit and in truth here, wherever the congregation gathers. And so Jesus is speaking forth truth to this woman about what is to come in the form of of worship. And he's telling her this because he wants to motivate this woman in her desire for righteousness to come to her. And so prophecy is taking people a notch higher. It's elevating people. It's speaking truth and speaking it forth, and it's using the truth to stir people up. And that woman went back to her village and told her everything that she had heard, and God, and Jesus ended up spending, I think it was three days there, uh, or was it three weeks? It was three something. <laughs> he spent three days in that village, and, and many came to Christ because of that. The next one is in service. If in service in your serving, The service ministry, it's illustrating the truth. It's one thing to talk about love, right? It's one thing to prophesy about love, to speak forth the truth like I do. You should all love one another. It's another thing to serve in love, to illustrate the truth. There's speaking forth the truth, and then there's illustrating the truth. And Jesus did this. He showed love practically. When he knew the people were hungry, he fed them. When they were ill, he healed them. He served practically and didn't just talk about it. And one of the things that's really I'd like to highlight about service is um, the breadth of it or the importance of it, even within the early church. I'll just tell you this little story from Acts chapter 9. Peter was in town. He was available. He wasn't journeying. And there came this call to Peter in Acts chapter 9. They needed help. Get Peter. Because a miracle was needed. Somebody had died. And so you're thinking, who is it that died? Was it John? 
you know, was it James? Um, I think James was already gone at that point. But, you know, somebody important must have really died. A key leader in the church. No, it was Tabitha. Tabitha is the one who died. Tabitha was this woman who we never otherwise hear about. And what did she do? She sewed clothes for the church. And so the early church is seeking out Peter, saying, come quick, because we need a miracle. We need this woman. And she's not a great preacher. She's not a great leader in the church. She just served the church by sewing clothes. But so valuable to the church. She was a woman full of good works and charitable deeds that she did. And so the widows were weeping you know, showing Peter the things that she had sewn and the garments which she had made. And so Peter gets them all out of the room and raises Tabitha. Praise God. So many people have this gift of service, and they say, hey, I can tune up your car. You know, maybe you can't sew clothes. I can't sew clothes. If I sewed you clothes, you would never want to wear them. You would never fit into them. Um, Why are there three legs? I don't understand. Uh, (laughs) But... You know, maybe you can tune up a car. You know, maybe you can change tires. Maybe you can swap out the snow tires for the radials. You know, you know, maybe you can shovel a drive. You can bake a pie. You can do some plumbing. You can tile a floor. You can fix a computer. Whatever it is, the church needs service. The body of Christ needs to serve one another. And Tabitha took her gift and she expressed it in the church. And she showed practically what love really meant. And that's a gift, that's a spiritual gift, that's bringing the oil into the tabernacle. The one who teaches in his teaching. So prophecy is proclaiming truth, service is illustrating truth, teaching is clarifying truth. And Jesus uses this teaching gift in clarifying all the time. Jesus was always clarifying the law to the Pharisees and the scribes, wasn't he? It seemed like the Pharisees and the scribes inevitably got the law wrong, and Jesus constantly, excuse me, had to clarify the truth of the law to the, to the people, because they had missed the point, right? And he had said, he clarifies murder even. You want to pick a heavy topic. He clarifies murder. He says, you've heard it said to those of old that you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So here's Jesus using his teaching gift. He's saying, you don't understand what the law is saying. You've heard this about murder. You think you understand what murder really means to God, but let me clarify for you. Let me teach you something. If you're angry at one another without cause, you're killing them in your heart. Your hatred and your bitterness is equivalent to murder. So Jesus was a teacher, and the people heard him and said, nobody speaks like this man speaks with authority. That's the gift of teaching. When teachers teach and they are teaching with the gift of authority, you listen to them and you think, nobody speaks like that. I hear, I resonate, I hear the ring of truth. I hear the gift of God in what they're saying. And if you have that gift, you use it for teaching and for clarifying the truth. To bring clarity to the body of Christ. Because we can get really befuddled sometimes, right? We can get really lost in the weeds, And there can be long stretches where there's not much clarity. And that's when we need our teachers to rise up and teach clarity. The next one, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. The word exhort is paraclesis. Some of you might recognize that word right there. Exhort is paraclesis. The root is paraclete, which means, and it's the coming alongside of the Holy Spirit. 
And so you remember, again, using Jesus as an example where the disciples are in a storm, right? The boat is rocking and there's a storm coming and, you know, there's thunder and lightning. And Jesus had told them to go across ahead of him. And then all of a sudden in the middle of this storm, the boat's rocking and they're not sure. And these are experienced fishermen and they're worried about what's happening with the boat. All of a sudden, Jesus comes alongside of them and he says, be of good cheer. (laughs) In the middle of this storm, Jesus is like, hey guys, cheer up. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to come alongside you. I'm here to, to give you a word of encouragement, right? And we face the same thing in the church. We are in storms. We are going through hard times, even as just we've prayed about Already this morning, families going through sickness, through illness, through emergency, storms of life come upon us, and we are just feel like we're going to be swamped. And we need those who exhort to exhort in exhortation, to be a paraclete, to come alongside like the Holy Spirit and give encouragement. You know? Or on the other side, you have people who are in the doldrums, right? You know, you're just out in the middle of the, of the, of the lake, or you're out in the middle of the ocean, and there's no wind. There's no nothing, not a ripple. You know, makes for a beautiful photograph, will not get you back to shore though, right? And so people are just in the doldrums. They're just thinking, I'm not going to do anything. I haven't done anything at church for a year. I'm probably not going to do anything at church for another year. I just seem to be stuck here in the doldrums, right? You know, and so, you know, verily, you know, these people with the gift of exhortation need to come along and give them a holy kick in the pants and get them moving forward again because that's the gift, Right? Basically to exhort them, to give them a push or a kick or whatever they need to get them going. That's the gift of exhortation. And man, we need it. Leaders need that. Leaders especially need those who encourage and exhort and who come alongside and say, keep going. The one who contributes in generosity. And we'll, you know, we might talk about this one in a few more weeks. I'm not going to tell you what Sunday so that you come. Uh, but... <laughs> But did you know, even as Mark was praying, that giving is a gift? People who just give generously and overwhelmingly, beyond what it seems they're able to do, and beyond what it seems is reasonable. Some people just figure out their tithe, you know, more carefully than their taxes, uh, you know, and then other people just round it off to 20 bucks. Well, whatever it is, 20 bucks, you know. But that's better than not contributing at all, trust me. Whether you're using a calculator or rounding it off, it's better than not contributing anything at all. But the gift of giving is a whole other mindset. The spiritual gift of giving is giving with joy for the purpose of furthering the kingdom by generosity. It's giving back to God in proportion to his blessing in ways that just carry the kingdom forward into the next generation so that the kingdom in the next generation is healthier than it is in this generation. And yeah, it takes money to do it. It takes, it takes resources. And resources, or money is just this code word for resources, It takes energy, it takes effort, it takes people, it takes buildings, it takes electricity, it takes propane and oil and all the other things that you have up here in Halliburton. (laughs) But no natural gas, apparently, because I can't get the natural gas furnace. So, but yeah, it takes all this stuff to move the kingdom forward. And there are people who have the gift of giving to the kingdom in a way that moves the kingdom forward. They just have the gift of earning money or investing, or they just have the gift of living well within their means so that they can give more proportionally out of what they have because they live with so little. And they do it to see the gospel proclaimed. They do it to see Jesus magnified and the kingdom grow. And so if God's blessed you with the gift of reaping and of expanding your fields, then sow back into that gift by being generous. The one who leads with zeal. 
leading or ruling or administering, uh, people who know how to do things and how they should be done and how to get an organization from point A to point B. There's lots of people who know the organization is at point A, and they have lots of opinions about what point B is, but they have no idea how to get from point A to point B. Right? So there's one type of people that can see point B, and they can talk a lot about point B, but they don't know how to get from point A to point B. The one who leads, those who have the gift of leadership, have a God-given, a spirit-granted ability that indwells them to move organizations from point A to point B, to move people forward, to herd the sheep, so to speak, so that they're moving in the right direction. And they look to those details and make sure all those details are getting executed well and with excellence. And the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And this is one of the harder ones, in fact. It was hard to find a good example, especially as I was looking for examples specifically with Jesus. Um, Because Jesus displayed mercy many times. But often when we see the compassion and the mercy of Jesus, we see him what appears to be at his saddest. He's weeping over the people of Jerusalem, or he is at the tomb of Lazarus, and he's weeping over the death of his friend. And so when we see this act of mercy or this act of compassion, it often comes with tears, but it says here, Paul says, one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And it may be that exact reason why Paul's written it that way, just as I was thinking and praying about it this week. Paul, knowing that acts of mercy can be one of the hardest gifts emotionally, and so that we're, we're so fully engaged in mercy ministries and we're so fully engaged with the people who need mercy, who are at the lowest point and need compassion, that we have to work, and he's phrased it this way, so that we have to work to not be pulled too deeply into the hurt and the need that we're meeting, but to remember that it's joy that we're ultimately bringing in a, in a mercy ministry. We're not getting into a mercy ministry to go down there and wallow in the sadness of whatever needs the mercy. We're to bring joy and cheer into that ministry. And so maybe that's why Paul wrote it that way, because it just seemed like such a contradiction to do active mercy with cheerfulness. Because when you're engaged in, and this is such a hard one, and God bless every one of you who has this gift of mercy, because you are meeting people at their lowest point. You're meeting people at the hardest part of their life. And they are looking for encouragement. They are looking for your compassion to come and join with them. But to remember to bring joy in those ministries of mercy. And so now your gift is a wonderful thing. And, uh, you know, the church needs all those gifts to work together. And maybe even just as I've been speaking, you've been wondering maybe what your gift is or some of them have resonated with you. If you have the gift of prophecy, you're going to want to raise the bar of spirituality, right? You're going to want to proclaim the truth and, you know, just get the body. You're thinking, if I was in charge of this church, I'd do, you know, I'd preach the truth forward and I would get people stirred up, you know, or others of you might be thinking, no, that's not what we really need as a church. You know, the real need here is we need more people to serve. So if that resonates with you, that might be your gift. Or others of you might be thinking, no, we need a deeper understanding of what the word says. We need more clarity. We don't get it. We should be teaching more. If that resonates with you, then you might have the gift of teaching. Or exhortation, you might say, no, what we need is counseling and interaction. We need people to be encouraged. We need people in situations to be lifted up. Well, if that's resonating with you, that might be your gift is exhortation. Because we're all going to hear these gifts and we're all going to resonate with certain ones. The Holy Spirit's put it in us. 
or giving, right? If you're listening to what I've been saying, you've been saying, yeah, that's the problem. There's not enough, the budget's too small. We don't have enough, we don't have enough money to do the ministry we need. If that's sort of what you're thinking as I talk, then maybe that's your gift, is of giving. Or if you're thinking that the system's broken and we're disordered, you know, we're spinning our wheels, nothing's going right, maybe you have the gift of leading because that's where you want to work. Or if you're thinking of all the people that need care and mercy and help and, and all the hurting people that haven't been properly dealt with in the church and you think we need more people taking care of these people who haven't been visited, etc., gift of mercy, probably you. Another way of, of expressing this is, the first thing that I just talked about there is that the, the beauty of the church is that it gives us a place to express our gift, right? We have this spiritual gift, and the church gives us a place to express it. The second thing is that we can apply our gift where there's an uncommon or extraordinary need. You remember I said that everybody has all these gifts, and so we should all be doing all of these things. Everybody should be giving. Everybody should be caring. Everybody should be speaking truth. But where there's an extraordinary need, we'll bring our gift specifically. And so I'll just use this little example here. You can imagine if, uh, you know, I get thirsty up here and I need a glass of water or something like that. So you can imagine if one of the young people in the church, one of the little toddlers like, like Gideon or Annabelle or one of those, you know, Annabelle's going to say, oh, Pastor Paul's thirsty. I'm going to bring him a glass of water. And so she gets a glass of water and she starts to bring it up to me and she drops it right here. And the glass falls on the floor and it breaks and the water goes everywhere and there's glass everywhere And right there, you think about that situation and you think about how you would respond to reveal your gift. Now, if you have the gift of prophecy, you're going to say, Annabelle, the world is full of pitfalls. You have to be careful how you walk, lest you are led astray from the right path. And there's consequences if you're not aware of these pitfalls in the world. But if you have the gift of mercy, you're going to say, oh, Annabelle, I know exactly how you feel. I do that all the time. Give me a hug. You know, don't listen to that prophecy guy. He's just trying to get you down. Or if you have the gift of service, you know, you say, where's the mop? I can clean this up right now before somebody steps in the glass. Give me, you know, I got, first thing is get the mop. Don't speak the truth. Don't, you know, Annabelle, the glass has got to be cleaned up. That's the gift of service speaking. Or maybe you have the gift of leadership. So you say, okay. I've seen what happens here, and we need a system in place to make sure this doesn't happen again. (laughs) We'll use plastic bottles, and the worship team leader will make sure there's one within reach of Paul at all time, and we'll have to label them so they don't get mixed up. Okay, gift of leadership. Or maybe you have the gift of teaching, and so you say, Annabelle, when you carry water, make sure there's no condensation. You hold it with both hands, and you always watch where you're walking. Or you have the gift of giving, and you think, how much would it cost to get unbreakable clear cups? And we'll just replace all the cups in the church with unbreakable clear cups, and I'll just write a check. We'll get that done. Okay, so you see what I'm saying here. You can can see that something has happened in the body of Christ, and everybody with their gifts approaches it differently. Because what did it say about our gifts? They differ. Our gifts differ. They're always different from the other people's. And we look at the same event and see it through our own motivational gift perspective. It's not what's right or wrong to react to that. It's how we all bodily as a corporate body, how the whole congregation responds to it. And so we have to be understanding with each other that not everyone sees the needs in the church exactly the same. Nor is everybody equipped to respond to those needs exactly the same. Everybody responds a little different. Everybody sees the need a little different. 
But the church is made great because everybody responds and all the needs are met when we all bring our gift together. We all do it together. If water is spilled, it does need to be mopped up, right? Don't say, well, you know, it's not my gift. I'm not going to do it. If you've got the mop, you're the closest to it, mop it up. But the reality is if the water is spilled, if the glass is broken, if something has happened, everything needs to be done. And in fact, you know, if, if we need teachers in Sunday school, don't say, well, I don't have the gift of teaching. I can't do that. You know, right now, Elena actually does need grade three to five helpers. Make a note. And also a helper for, no, she needs two grade three to five teachers. Let me get this right. And she needs a helper in the age three to five. So there you go. Talk to Elena. But yeah, don't, don't worry about whether you have that exact gift. We're all to be expressing the gifts, you know, especially in Sunday school. If you know how a crayon works, you're good, pretty much. You know, glue bottle, you've got it mastered, you're good, right? You know, Daniel was in the lion's den all night, and God didn't abandon him. He will not abandon you in Sunday school. Um, but for the toughest cases, for the hardest things in the church, you know, the things that go outside the normal day-to-day stuff, we need our experts, right? We need the ones who express those gifts specifically. We need our specialists to deal with those situations. You know, the hardest cases of compassion and mercy, the most difficult leadership decisions, you know, the challenges to giving, um, the hardest areas of service, we need people to, with those gifts to step forward. There's one warning here, too, which I sort of touched on a little bit with the example of the the water glass and the broken glass. We have to be aware of gift projection, that we have a tendency as people to project our gift onto other people. So I'm a teacher, right? I like to teach and preach and, you know, proclaim the truth. And so I think everybody should learn it as fast as I learn it and know as much as I do and tell everybody else as much as I do. You know, everybody should be a great preacher because that's what I do. Right? That's the danger of gift projection. Or you have people who care for the marginal, and they care for those who are hurting. And they don't know what, you know, I go to the hospital and nobody else is there. Everybody should be visiting everybody in the hospital. Well, no, everybody doesn't have your gift, right? You know, or you have people working in the church, you know, mopping up the floor, cleaning up the glass, painting the walls and things like that. Where's everybody else? I'm always here all by myself on Saturday painting, or I'm always here all by myself. You know, there's, there's only three of us that get anything done around here. Well, no, there's lots going on. It's just not necessarily painting the church. That's your gift of service. Other people are expressing their gifts in other ways. But we have a tendency to get a little bit riled up because we project our gift onto other people. And we think everybody should be doing it the way I'm doing it. I serve God the way, you know, the way God really likes it. And so everybody should do it my way. So don't project your gift onto other people. The fact that you realize that the walls need to be painted or that something needs to be done is not for you to say, hey, something needs to be done. It's for you to do something. Right, The fact that you realize that there are people in the hospital who haven't been visited or there are people who are in a low spot or you've noticed that they're a bit depressed or you notice that they need compassion or care or a casserole, whatever it is, you're, the answer is not to go to the leadership and say, hey, we don't have a meal ministry or we're not visiting enough people. No, no, God has put that on your heart. The Holy Spirit has revealed that as your gift so that you can show compassion, you can show mercy. That's what God's calling you to. So don't project your gift onto other people. We all need to be growing more and more in the likeness of Christ who has all the gifts, of course. But be careful that we don't project our gift onto other people and expect them to have our gift or expect that our gift is the most important gift, right? Because the other thing that Paul says in that chapter there is that all of the parts of the body are combined together and he has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there would be no division but that the parts should have equal concern for each other. 
right? So Paul has said here that all the gifts are important. Even the ones that seem more honorable or less honorable, the more honorable parts give honor to the less honorable so that they all equal out. So whether you're mopping the floor or teaching Annabelle or preaching or serving shepherd's table, teaching the Sunday school, even if you're just sharpening the pencils, all of the gifts are of equal concern to each other. And all of the spiritual gifts are valuable. They're all honorable. They all serve a purpose in the church. Myself and the other church staff and the elders and all the other ministry leaders, we can only tend the lamps. We can only keep the light shining as the congregation brings the oil into the tabernacle. As your gifts come together with other gifts, as people actually see the Holy Spirit at work, imagine this, if we gathered together together as people and we never expressed our gifts, nobody would see the Spirit. If we just gathered together and never expressed our spiritual gifts, then people on the outside in the world, they would just say, well, there's a group of people doing nothing. But as we gather together as the church and we express our spiritual gifts and as that oil is lighted and lit, I should speak with proper grammar, as that oil is lit. (laughs) Somebody have the gift of grammar. Um, But as we gather together and we express our spiritual gifts together and that oil is lit and the Spirit of God is present, then the people who aren't in the church, they see what's happening and they wonder what they're missing. Because they see that oil burning and they see that light and they see that Spirit and they see those gifts. And they say, what is going on? They hear the singing They see the care that we have for each other. They see the service that we're providing in this county and in this church and in missions to other countries. They see that and they say, what is going on? So in other words, they see the light of the church, the light of the lamp glowing as bright and as pure as the oil that's brought to it. And that's what it says in Matthew. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden. So that's my encouragement to you today. Don't come empty-handed. Bring the oil. Bring the spirit. Bring your spiritual gifts. Express them to each other. And we will be a light of the world. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for your word today. And thank you for this church. That as people look at it, as people witness Lakeside, they will witness a people that have a Leviticus 24 reality that there is a reality here of the responsibility of what we bring to the church, that we bring the oil. Father, that, that our light would shine bright in Halliburton, that our light would shine bright in the world, not for our glory, not for our glory, but to elevate and magnify and lift up the name of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That was great. Thanks so much, Pastor Paul. And I don't know if you saw it up there, but there was just a uh, slide that had Paul's, Pastor Paul's information on it. So if anybody has any uh, questions lingering or needs clarification, please feel free. He's pretty approachable so far. So uh, <laughs> our last song that we uh, are going to sing today, we sang it for the first time last week. It's called Our God, written by Chris Tomlin and Matt Redman. And um, it's been out for quite some time, so it's probably going to be familiar to most of you if you weren't here last week. So let's stand up and give another shot and learn another song that praises our Father. <laughs> 